In this episode, what we'll be talking about is the importance of goal setting. So we're still in the early phases of the year, so it's important to set the year straight. Secondly, we'll be talking about the pay disparity between black and ethnic minorities, sharing a bit about our own experiences and how we can try and, in our own view, close that gap. And then finally, we'll be closing with a great book recommendation from Daniel, um, which is definitely worth waiting to listen to at the end. So yeah, let's get started. Thank you for listening. There we go. Finally is recorded and finally we're getting started. So welcome back to Take Flight episode number four. I'm here with myself, Olu, Daniel, Pabilo and Shawal. How are you guys doing? Good, good, really good. How's you guys week been? Not too bad? Not stressful? Feeling good, starting the year strong. Tired though, getting back into the routine of things, but good. I can imagine, I can imagine. I had to take a a short break to Athens this weekend. Try to relax for the beginning of the year and get the year started right. Yeah, I saw a video of you trying to learn how to swim. How was that? <laughs> Not trying to learn how to swim. I can swim. Oh, I'm okay. trying to, you, you know, like I'm trying to be like... that stereotype that black men can't swim. You know. Well, you, well, you, you, you look like you're struggling. If I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Okay. Let's get started. So, so let's start off with the main topic. Um, importance of setting setting goals. How do you guys set your goals? What do you guys think about it? Okay, that tells you that none of the people in the group have goals then. So when do you guys set goals? Beginning of the year, midway? Are you one of those people that wait until the 1st of Jan and say, you know what, new year, new me. I know P's trying to say new body. I see you working out. I see you in the gym. Come on. He definitely had a heavy Christmas. That's why he's getting done. The That's why right, he's trying to work out. <laughs> trying no, to work for, off that turkey. Um, <laughs> for sure. I think in terms of goal setting, so once a year is, is really sort of the big the big list where you review mm. really what you're trying to tackle. But I would even say throughout the, throughout the year, every month, I'm, I'm looking at my list and, and understanding, is it still the right goal to have? Mm. Um, does it change? Do I need to adjust it? Does it still make sense? Because as you sort of evolve as a person, you may say to yourself, this is not necessarily so meaningful um, yeah. when I thought it was. So exactly. That's, once the, a year, that's a key thing. I think once a year, what you is a key. And, and then throughout the year, constantly looking at it. Um, yeah. Now, I, yeah, I'm actually very but, similar to P. I'm also doing it at the beginning of the year. Um, and then I try to look at it at least every, even every couple of days or every week, just a glance. And then I also try to share with other people in terms of sharing our goals with each other and looking at it at least once a month as a group because that's actually a great way to get other people's opinions on how you're doing and if you're not actually doing so well then they can give you that extra push yeah. mm-hmm. and accountability yeah. because i can't speak to those guys and tell them i haven't done it especially if they're advancing well in their ones yeah, yeah accountability is a big one we can touch on a little bit later dan yeah. what do you think i think it's important to set goals all the time whether it's beginning of the year middle of the year end of the year do you set how daily goals it? like Make sure Sorry? I w- make sure I wake up. Make sure I brush my teeth. Make sure I have three meals. <laughs> How, no, no, no. What sort of level of goals are you setting? <laughs> I just that's, I'm that's not sure. A, what's that's, that's, a that's a different ball game. But in terms no. of three times a year, Daniel. No, I said I said it's important to set goals, whether it's beginning of the year, end of the year, or middle of the year. It doesn't matter when because it's important that we all set goals. Because some people might think, oh, it's past. You know. January's ended, February's come and gone, March, and then they're in June. I think, okay, I'm going to wait six months till I set my goal. Yeah. But in, in actual fact, you don't need to wait that long. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So PUP was talking about, you know, do I need to adjust? Do I need to change? Mm. I think for myself, goals should be set in concrete, but your plan should be set in sand. 
you know, be flexible with mm, the way you can just Damn. But okay. If your goal is your goal, <laughs> your goal, your goal it's, it's important to you and that's why you set it. Mm. So don't be afraid to be flexible. Don't be afraid to even delay it slightly, but still have that goal in mind that you still want to achieve and take that off your list. Yeah. No, I totally sure. agree with everything you guys say. Mind. Uh, like, I, like, I'll, I'll throw something out. You know, we talk about goals. We talk, you know, I know all four of us, we set goals. We set goals for us, our personal lives, for work in a different number of areas. Um, you know, we have maybe financial goals, personal development goals, etc., etc. But I'm sure, you know, our listeners are probably scared or they're scared to set goals where they think, okay, it's too, too extreme, it's too big. I'm scared that I'm going to not achieve it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to minimize my goal. What would you say to the listeners that are thinking that? I always feel like whenever you set goals, it needs to be stretch goals. So yeah, yeah. personally, uh, any goal that I'm setting, I'm trying to make sure I'm pushing myself to go beyond what I see as normal. I think a lot yeah, of yeah. times we see normal based on what we're exposed to. That's why I try to read a lot or interact with people that have a different mindset or outlook on life. Because then you start to realize, oh, that that goal that I thought was going to be unachievable is actually realistic. So you always have to sort of try to stretch yourself. There's this concept that some people use, which is called like the 10x goal. So whenever you set a goal, make sure it's 10 times what your original or what you would have previously set um, yeah. so that you see yourself stretching. But I personally, I don't always recommend doing 10 times because if you're someone that never achieves your goal, don't always go 10 times because it's just going to be disheartening start with two times your sort of um, stretch and then three times and then work up to a time where you're saying, okay, now I'm going to go for a big boy or big time goal and then just stretch yourself. There's a nice saying around that, which is um, aim for the, for the stars. And if you fall short, you've landed pretty far out of space. I don't so, think that's the saying. <laughs> I, swear no, like, no. I, swear, I swear it's like reach for the stars uh, no, for a land on a moon or something like that. No, no in, in connection with, with setting stretch man, goals. Man's making his own quotes. <laughs> I think I think the thing about it, it's all about it's all about scratching your potential. So the reason why you, you should, one should actually think about stretching themselves is to say, how far can I take this? How far can I take myself? Um, how can I surprise myself this year and do something which? I didn't think I can do and go beyond certain limits, but guys, so for you guys, what, why is it important to set objectives in the first place? So would you think, would you ever consider a year, going a year without setting any objectives never, at all? Never, no, never, ever, I, ever. Not, any, not, not anymore. I'll tell you why, because I started setting objectives, I think it was before final year or of university or whatever it may be. And, you know, on my thing, everyone that came to my room, you saw my board, I had like three things that I was focusing on in terms of, yeah. you know, degree achievement and other things that I wanted to, to achieve but the, the you know why why i started setting goals is because often in life or if you if you have goals that you achieve which you weren't even aware of there's no sense of achievement no sense of accomplishment so you're just kind of going through life with the motions you go up with the ups and you know with the peaks and with the troughs and everything like that so it's just like a roller coaster ride you don't really have a sense of achievement or there's nothing to challenge you but the one thing i find most gratifying um is not necessarily achieving the goal but it's actually the journey and the process. Yeah, the process. Because yeah. I find that, like, I, I learn about myself, and I can I can do something. So even if it's something small that I achieve in one day, I'm thinking, oh, I can hold on to that tomorrow because mm -hmm. I know I got past that yesterday, mm -hmm. and I've already developed that character, I developed that within myself to push me to to press on to that goal. It's tough, man. Because yeah. I agree the, with the, you, but it's tough because the, I've been mm -hmm. thinking this year, especially, 
is not to set too many goals. I guess my... So I would never say go into a year without setting goals. Yeah? Because I think you're just going around aimlessly. But setting too much goals can be dangerous. What's, Olu, what's, what's too much for you? What's too many? So previous years, I would like... Yeah, it, it depends on the person, but you also, you know yourself. So if you're someone that sets 20 goals every year and you only complete two, yeah? And then at the end of the year, you... You're Sound a... like you're speaking from experience. <laughs> Yo, if my two goals are... If my two goals are big, the ones I achieve are big, you know? The big ones, then why not? But no, but for me, that's okay for me. So I can end up... Previously, I was able to set lots of goals and only achieve two and still feel like, okay, I can, I'm fine with that. But for some re- for some people, they don't look at those, those two achievements and they start looking at the eight that they didn't achieve and they start having like negative thoughts about themselves, start thinking, mm. oh, am I really but achieving? Then, and then, then it puts them in a negative but if you space. Don't, but if you don't achieve the eight, maybe those eight weren't so important as the first two. But that's the key thing, what you just but said maybe, there. But maybe you need to refine it, but, you know. No, you th- so exactly what you're saying is easy. correct, but it's but just for comes, the listeners and the people listening to have that, have that mindset of understanding okay not achieving a goal does not mean okay you're a failure you didn't succeed but it could mean that okay maybe that wasn't the right goal or you moved a different way or you have evolved a different way or changed so not always being stuck to a particular goal and saying okay because i've got 20 i need to achieve all 20 otherwise i'm a failure but what you also need to remember that failure is an event not a person that's true that's the truth I'm going to steal that for Instagram, Daniel. Um, my, Daniel's my got opinion, bit Instagram posts and quotes in, in, in terms of the uh, the goals and setting them, etc., I think it always is important, and this is something I've tried to do the last couple of years, is try and make them as specific as possible. You can have, say, four big goals, but if one of them is eat healthier, it doesn't. It, there's, it's not really tangible enough. If you give yourself a specific thing like, oh, I want to get my body fat down to a certain percentage or I want to cut down a specific type of food, the more specific you make it, I think, the more tangible the goal is. And for me, what I've tried to do the last few years is I I have a long list. It looks like a laundry list between 15 to 20. And in my head, I try to prioritize them. And at least by the end of the year, I want to try and get at least 15 to 18, at least 80 percent of them. And the last few years I have. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean every single goal is super big. Some of them are specific actions I want to do in the year that yeah. I know at a particular time period I can do. But because I'm specific, I think I can write... But sure, with that, with that 15, do, how do you yeah. sort of decide what you spend your time on? Because having 15 is great, yeah? So, yeah? But so, yeah, I... You're gone. Yeah. So I, I basically split it. I have the list, and then I try to do it in terms of the timing. Some of them are things I want to do all year round. But a lot of them, I know which time it will be the right time to do. So say, for example, if I want to run a marathon. So that's one of my goals for this year. I try and plan already at the beginning of the year which part of the year that I want to run it. Say if another one is I want to change jobs. This year, I'm also looking to change into a different role within the company that I'm working at. I'm also targeting a specific time point in the year. So for the ones that I can, I give myself a specific time. Hmm. And I try to, kind of, on a quite a high level, plan for the year ahead. And then that's how I know where to split my time. Like I already know for this year, for Q1, what my focuses are and what I need to get done in Q1 to continue in the year. I think I just, touched, I I think just want to plug one. Go ahead, then. I think no. I was going. To, I was going to digress, but I was thinking. Shua was touching on a, um, an important point, which is about how we set goals. Yeah. And I think we know everyone 
you know, we need to decide or think carefully about what it want, what we want to do and work yeah. towards. The next thing you need to do is to write it down because once you write sure. it down, psychologically it's in there, it's in your brain, and you always have something to refer to. And when you write it down, write it down carefully. You know, we talk, we spoke about accountability, so you know, speak to someone or share with them. You know, if you, even if it's high level, so letting someone know your goals, they can always follow follow up with you on it to make sure you're staying on track. Mm-hmm. You know, as Joel was saying, break down your goal into um, milestones so that you can work towards it. You know, plan the first step of action, what it's going to be. And then from there, keep going. And also, as I see a lot of us doing, we celebrate our successes. And when we achieve that goal, you know, celebrate it. It could be something where, you know, you know, often now it's Instagram, you might share something. But what I used to do is if I wanted to buy something that I could afford even now or later, I would set myself a goal. Once I've achieved it, I would then buy that item or whatever it would be for that um, for that goal. So that anytime I look back at it, I can remember what the purchase was yeah, for. It's good, it's good, good. No, start. no, no. Yo, Daniel, um, one of the key points, and I think it's a great point, is accountability. Like, how do you guys sort of keep accountability? Because I see on Instagram people like, oh, work in silence, let them see your results. But accountability <laughs> is like a big thing that I feel like you need Whose to like. Voice is that? Yo, that's that's like day, you know. DJ Khaled yeah. always uses day. That's how day sound in my head. <laughs> so, how do you guys think of accountability? Because for me, I have a few close friends that I say, okay, this is what I want to achieve for the year, and I want you to bug me, ask me on a weekly basis, a monthly basis. Oh, Olu, you said you're gonna open up that podcast. What's it say? I haven't heard an episode. Like, what are you doing? Like, so that it makes you feel so bad that you okay. I, my ego makes me just say, you know what, I need to achieve this, I need to do this. Yeah, I mean, ac- accountability for me is a huge, huge one. The last couple of so when I first started doing this in 2012, I was doing it pretty much on my own. And I'll try to keep myself accountable and look at it every every week, every couple of days. But in the last two years, I've been trying to keep myself accountable by sharing it with friends and actually sharing it with my brothers and getting them involved in the process as well. Because I... For me, it's just knowing that you have to update someone in two weeks, in four weeks, friends who are also sharing their goals. It gives you that little bit of guilt where if you know that you're not pulling your weight, there's people that are going to be asking you, why not? And if they're the right friends, they don't even need to have the same level of goals. They can have completely different goals. But that group mentality does keep, for me anyway, account- the accountability high. Yeah, so for me, I haven't actually done that. I think it's something maybe I'll yeah, I've start asked you to a couple, I've asked you the last couple of years, Pete. You haven't shared anything, bro. I'm still waiting. Yeah, no, it's true. But what <laughs> I have done, actually, is is relating to my action items under each goal, is every single day track what the goal is or what I've done, what activity I've done related to that goal. So every I'm day? I'm a believer in... Every day. Damn. That's so dope. this maybe is for another podcast, but it's maybe, something... Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not busy enough. <laughs> no, maybe it's... <laughs> <laughs> got too much time on his hand. <laughs> No, it's part of the morning routine. Anyways, but um, but yeah, I'm a firm believer in if what doesn't get measured doesn't improve. So mm. for me, it's for me, it's uh, tracking on a daily basis. But I do think actually it'll be more powerful to have a discussion with someone, uh, as what Shuar mentioned. So I'm gonna start to look into that moving forward. So it sounds like we're all sharing our number one tip in terms of goal setting. So one thing that Daniel was talking about earlier is about growing to love the process. And the whole idea of writing these goals down is so during the course of the year, you can see the process, how it's evolved and how you've got to where you want to be. Now, one thing for me that I realized the last few years before is I'd set a goal, but because I wasn't sharing it with anyone or because I wasn't sharing it specifically with my brothers, 
they would just see the output of the goal. They didn't really see the planning behind. Say if I bought a house or if I bought the second house, I told them once I bought the house, they don't know the process beforehand. Mm -hmm. Now, what I love about this goal setting is that for them, now that they're aware, and 2018 was a beautiful year for it, at the beginning of the year, I sat down with them and I listed out the goals that I have. It was a list of 15 to 20. And at the beginning of the year, I said, look, this is what I'm going to achieve this year or what I want to achieve. And I made them do the same thing. Then December just gone. We sat all together. We were trying to have monthly recounts. So one of my brothers went to the States. If he's listening, shout out. Um, then at the end of the year, we did a quick review of the goals. And because we couldn't keep in touch every month, some of their goals weren't attained. But they did achieve some of them, more than I expected, which was great. But for them, what they saw is the list I had at the beginning of the year, 16 on that list was achieved. So for them, they've seen that at the beginning of the year, my brother set these goals. Every month, he's giving us an update on how he's getting there. And then at the end of the year, they've seen the results. So now, not only have they seen the outcome of what I've planned, but they've seen the process, which I want them to learn to see as well. So this is why learning to love the process, exactly what Daniel was saying, rewarding yourself afterwards, sharing that accountability. It's a great journey and it's really helped me achieve and also see the others achieve a lot as well. I think what you're saying there as well about, you know, people only see in public what you've been practicing in private is key. You know, people won't see the necessarily the hard work, the hours you put into something. It was mm -hmm. in 2017 where I think even P saw a picture of me or I actually, you know, I sent P a picture with my hair growing with a party and P was busting up. He was laughing hard. But what people don't know is I didn't cut my hair for about 10 weeks. And the reason why I didn't cut it, I couldn't afford to cut my hair. I was saving up for a wedding, saving up for a house. Yeah. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford to cut my hair. You know what? I thought, I thought you said it for P, saying that, like, he set the goal to grow hair and P can't yeah, grow no. hair. That's what I thought that was. Now I get a point of what you're saying, but before yeah, I put yeah, it, yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't cut my hair for 10 weeks, you know, and that was a sacrifice I had to, I had to make. And, you know, that, that was oh. it. <laughs> so, was it was it was it was a joke about me? I didn't make uh, Oli made the joke about you. <laughs> I was just I just wanted to understand where the hair part. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it. Sorry, so I didn't. Never catch mind. It. Never, mind. Okay, never mind. Never mind. I'm joking. All right, cool. Okay, have you guys heard of um? Because I think this is it sort of wraps it up, and you guys let me know. But have you heard of the term smarter? when it comes to setting... specific measurable yeah exactly um, so i think base. that's pretty much what everyone's discussed the smarter sort of um model for setting goals so i think she will what's, what's, what's the er at the end of smarter i didn't i didn't know smart. so the ER s is for specific no, which i, know, I think we I know, mentioned I know what the smart, I just yeah but not the, yeah you might know but not all the viewers know what it means so that's why i'm trying to go through it one by one attainable realistic time yeah but can you go say it slow so people can hear it i don't mind you saying it but just say it so people can hear it so what's the smart do you guys know what a smart is what does the smart stand for daniel go ahead bro specific measurable attainable realistic and time-based yeah. Yeah. So the realistic, ER. Realistic, yeah, realistic should get removed, but that's just my opinion. Realistic should get Smart. removed. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. And then the ER part is just E is for evaluate. So it's basically always going back to your settings and just re. And I think you guys said it like continuously going back to your goals to see it and check it. And R, which is what Daniel mentioned, was the reward. So always try and take some time when you've achieved a milestone to actually reward yourself. So if your goal is to like clear up your debt after like every three months oh, or spend 10 rest, spend 10 rest. <laughs> no, don't, don't put yourself in another, <laughs> in another hole, but after every three is months, that, you might spend like 50 pounds, 50 pounds, clear my debt. 
yo, I'm gonna clear my debt. My my student loan is my my only debt. So you know, <laughs> that's the debt I'm clearing. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's reward. So just having time to really reward yourself. So so why don't why we just wrap one, up this section by just going around and giving our top tips when it comes to setting goals. So P. Yes, someone else. I'm still thinking. Okay, um, my, my my number one tip to set goals would be simple: to write it down. I think if it's written down, then you'll work on it. If it's not written down, you'll forget about it. And I'll guarantee you, ninety nine point eight seven four four percent, you're not going to do it. <laughs> so building on that very quickly, after you've written them down, look at them at least once a week, and if you can, share with one other person like minded. And get them to show you the goals to be accountable. I swear we said one tip, not two. Ah, but anyways, yeah. I'll just ah, touch on ah, your second sorry, one man. now. So I'll just use the second one, which is just accountability. Um, and I find the best way to stay accountable when it comes to your goals is, like Shuwa said, share it with someone and just get that person to nag you, call you, and just see where you stand with your goal throughout the year. Yeah, my tip would be really try to force yourself to understand why are you setting the goal that you're setting? And on top of that, think to yourself, how do, do you want to feel once you've achieved this goal at the end of the year? So it's a lot to do with the why. Dope. Dope. Okay, let's move on to the next section, hot topic. So as I mentioned before, in the media, um, an article has been circulating around ethnicity um, pay gap so the pay gap between black um, asian different minorities so have you guys read this article have you seen it well it's not necessarily an article it's something that's just been this you know it's being discussed in the media uh, by government parliament and companies i think it was originally an article uh, in um or a case study that was published around the ethnicity gap and then it was picked up no. So you got you guys you guys dumb? <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> So can we can we talk about the topic now, yeah? Alright, cool. So who wants to go? <laughs> so none of you have seen it? Yeah, I've I've seen it. Um I've seen an article. I've read a few articles, I've read about it, and I think it expands upon last year's um the gender pay gap which was revealed by and companies had to reveal. And I think now they're looking to do something with the ethnic uh, pay gap amongst black, Asian and ethnic minority workers within the UK. Um, from, you know, I, would, I would say it's important. I think it needs to be shared. I think it should be publicly available. I think we're living in an age where things are transparent and I don't see why this shouldn't be made transparent also. Yeah. Was it, um, Daniel, was it certain roles, certain sectors? I'm not sure about certain sectors. Um, I don't know if it was certain sectors. So the sectors, way I understood it was that they're basically saying and correct me if I'm wrong, but they're basically saying that if you start to look at the the pay and the wages between minorities, um, you'll see a, a massive gap between them and people of either British, white, heritage, um, um, race, so male or, um, or female. Um, you'll see that they were earning a lot more. Because the way I translated it, I didn't particularly think they was trying to say and obviously we need to have the data but we can have a conversation without the data but i don't think they're trying to say that for the same role same um qualifications that there was a massive gap or a significant gap based on ethnicity i think they were talking just more in terms of if you take 
a group of um, data, different sectors, different jobs, you'll see that there was such a larger gap between minorities and um, whites, male or female. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm just looking at some of the numbers now. So black, Asian and ethnic minorities are losing out on 3.2 billion a year in wages compared to their white colleagues, which thinking about it, that's... But is that for the same role? So that's that's on a total basis. Yeah, but yeah, I just exactly, think yeah. you're doing the exact same job as someone else and the whole minority has got 3.2 billion less. Because that's... Nah, see, that's why I, I don't think that's... And, and maybe I'm getting this wrong. I don't think it's for the same job. No, 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 of course. This, yeah, is, yeah. Just, this is like on an aggregate level, but then they yeah. break it down into, into terms of jobs. Mm-hmm. So once you're a graduate versus a non-graduate, the percentages can change. So from what I see, for those, for example, in my case, I'm a Bangladeshi origin person born in the UK. Um, but in the UK, I'm likely to be earning 12% less than a white peer who's also graduated from university. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is crazy because if you're coming from the same degree if you have everything else the only difference is your ethnicity and you're getting paid 12 percent less that's just it's just uh it's just mind-blowing and i think that's one of the reasons why the government is trying to get firms to to share this information because one thing is just being aware of the gap and then once people are aware then they'll tackle it but at the moment if no one's giving this information freely it's very difficult for anyone to do anything about it to be honest yeah it's true one thing that comes to mind actually i'm just like there's a number of reasons as to why the gap is is, is as wide as it is and i and i would probably one thing that comes to mind is i don't know if we're as good as say um the white demographic in terms of negotiating our pay especially when it comes to sort of year end reviews so that's one of the reasons i think one of the main drivers one of the drivers as to why you actually have such a gap i think we blacks and browns need to probably do a better job and i think also sometimes i think we're so lucky just to have the position in the first place we'll kind of take whatever we're given as opposed to saying year on year actually i'm doing a very good job uh in comparison to not just to white people but just in general i'm doing a very good job in this role it's knowing what you're worth and that's the key thing is knowing what you're worth like even before i look at and Okay. Well, okay. Let's have. The, I'm having this conversation based on someone that's got the same qualification, um, same skill set, went through the same route. So let's say, for example, they both went through graduate jobs. Yeah, and they're applying for the same job. For those specific areas, the first thing you should be doing is understanding. Okay, what does the market say that this job is worth? So you go and there's so many like sites where you can say, okay, this is the role, this is the company. They will tell you this is how much you should be earning, 40K, 50K. That's information is there. So then when you go into that interview, then you, like P said, you need to be able to negotiate and say, okay, this That's is how true. much I know I'm worth and be able to turn down an opportunity um, if you believe that you're underpaid. Because I find if if you already go into a company being underpaid, it then becomes even more difficult to see an increase. You start to see just small inflation yeah, increases. Yeah. You don't see a large increase. To be honest, well, even, I, I, my, I even myself, just, just quickly done, even myself, I've never, I don't, I have hardly ever negotiated my salary, only until I'm actually moving into a new role. But com- in comparison to, say, sort of the white demographic, even within their role, so mm. I don't know if they would have submitted a project, they're now going to use that as leverage to, say, to tell their boss, all right, look, I've done well in this project. It's April in the year. Give me a pay rise. So it's um, it, I mean, it, and that's what happens. So it's 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 us sort of being a bit more bullish and understanding what we're worth. 
But I think also, I think if you know, we look at it, you know, zoom in on the lens a bit, why there is such a big gap is because if you put it, it's down to, you know, put it frankly, black people, Asian people aren't considered um, or aren't even considered or given promotions at work or less or given less promotions at work. Yeah. So therefore, mm. that disparity between what a white person would earn compared to an ethnic minority is going to increase substantially. Yeah. And it's, it's across the board in all industries, white people are always favoured. Uh, um, over black or ethnic minority people when it comes to a promotion. I was listening to an LBC conversation last week and it even spoke about getting invited to an interview after applying. I think it was that a black person with, you know, a black or Asian person, as you can tell by most by their name, have to apply 80% more times to get um, an interview. <laughs> so that's, those... is that why your name is Daniel Johnson? Is that because <laughs> I'm saying that's the struggle I have to go through? My name is Oluwa oh, When I put out an application, you don't want to move. When I put out an application, you know, I struggle to get phone calls back. But Daniel Johnson, they're like, but P, you joked about changing name because one of the callers actually said he went and he changed his name legally. And immediately he got a job in okay. <laughs> No, but yeah, as I, you know, as I was saying, it was you know it comes down to con- even consider for promotions. Um, so that all comes into the pay gap. But I don't know if any of you have seen the consultation that was um, the ethnic minority pay reports in the government consultation that was released. It's a thirty-one page um, publicly available on .gov.uk, mm. and it talks about why this is needed. And the consultation period was open from I think November, and it closed eleventh of January. So there are opportunities for people to speak up on why they want to do it and to force large firms to do it. And mm. if we put it simply, why would companies not want to do it? They've done it for the gender last year. They've done and... it for the public sector as well. So like Sorry? they already did it for the public sector because they're able to audit the public sector and see salary it gaps. Public sector. It was for every company. No, I agree. UK. But I'm they saying they've already, they've already done it for the public sector because they can. So why not do it also for private companies? Because one of the stats and exactly what you're talking about in terms of promotion, they looked at the police force and they said that only 1% of senior um, senior roles in the police force were to non, um, non-white um, non-white um, employees. So that's exactly what you're talking about in terms of the promotion when it comes to the top. You rarely see a non-white person there. I think that also just looking at the the article again, I think that will also naturally skew the statistic a bit because typically there's not that many high earning, high level ethnic minorities in these companies yet. I think during our lifetime, we've seen more females in leadership roles and it is coming this wave of more ethnic and non-white people in leadership positions. And hopefully once that does happen, then this disparity will be um, reduced more. But I think what Pete was saying at the beginning, once I got into my job, I was just super grateful to get a job. So there was no way I was going to negotiate any. I wanted to sign that contract before anyone changed their mind. Now, Now that I'm a bit older and I've got a bit of experience, and I've had discussions actually, before I moved into the role that I'm in now, I was offered another another role and it was kind of framed as a leadership, etc. But then financially, it was just 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 was too much of a struggle. So I was comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that was for me the first experience of having that discussion and um, growing from that. And now I'm actually quite a bit more comfortable having that conversation. No, so so what would you guys what would you guys suggest in terms of what could you do in your role to help close that gap? What could we suggest? 
so in terms of what do you feel like the solution is personally on us like what, what we could do? exactly how could you impact change so for me i see it in two ways i see it, you've got systematic change and you have what you can control so your individual responsibility and what you can change systematically there needs to be firstly like daniel said they need to disclose this the information and the details that needs to happen secondly there needs to be sort of measurements and metrics set to say okay we need to employ whatever percentage or ensure that there's a evenly balanced split similar as when the gender pay which is not equal at the moment and there's multiple factors why that's not equal and personally i think it should be but when they went for that gender um, stage, they said, okay, companies will need to employ a certain percentage of men and women. That same sort of log logic needs to be done when it comes to ethnicity. Then now in terms of individual responsibility, the way I see it is, you know the game. You know how the game is set up, yeah? So you, I don't, I don't like to have that victim mentality so now that you know how the game is set up, what can you do to put yourself in a good position? So yeah, I agree. if that means have, and there's a terminology called the tax to be black or the tax to be poor or the tax to be a minority. Yeah. So you know that you have that tax. So what that means is maybe you need to do extra qualifications so that you can get in front of that interview or you need to go above and beyond. Um, you just have to sometimes play that game and do what is needed so that you can put yourself ahead. No, I agree. I think the first step to your point, Olu, is definitely increasing awareness. I think that's the first step in sort of impacting change. I think it's on us to, to look at, like you said, look at the game, study the game, see how those that are doing well and what they're doing, what moves they're making. And I think also finally, which we can do and what we're already doing, is once you've been given the position and the opportunity in a particular role, open the door, open the doors for others, mm. right? And I think that's a way that over the next however many years, we're certainly going to see that change. We've been able to, to do that successfully at um, our company, which is keep um, the program that we started on and allow that to continue every single year. But then how, how does that come into against pay? Because people can still come in, you know, with the DNI initiatives that every single company has. People from ethnic minority groups can come into the company, but how do we tackle and address the the pay situation? First is the visibility. You first, like we've said, no. you need visibility. And then after the visibility is having metrics around it, which holds companies yeah. accountable. Similar no, to the gender. I saying. Damn, yeah, I see. Because we're not, talking about, we're not talking about employability. We're not talking about employability because that's a whole nother subject. Mm. But once someone's in the company, because if pay isn't so, so transparent, how do you create the transparency within the company organization? But the main way to do it is for it to be publicly available. Yes, it needs to be publicly available. Oh, I, I argue if it needs to be, I think it's already publicly available what you should be earning. But it's not, it's it, not, though. it's not public. It is. Yeah. You can go online. This, you can go online right now. This, this if you tell me your role and the no, company no, no, that you no, work for, no, I can but, find no, out no, what that, you should that, be earning. No, but that's, that's not, that's not, um, that's not accurate because someone in that role could have been working with the company for 10 years and their pay has been increasing. So in that role, you can either have a very large range or you can have something that's very inaccurate. But then example, isn't that someone... the same complexity of showing the data then? Because no, you then showing the data doesn't show different. the nuances of someone that's been there for 10 years versus that's, how is that different? That's different because the pay gap is going to be, the pay gap's going to be relative. It's going to be also take, I'm assuming it's going to take 
uh, into account tenure. It's not going to be this person's been CEO for 10 years. They're on this they're on this salary. Someone comes in straight away. They're not going to be on that salary. Yeah, but that's for the example, same way if you check for, for online, example, you, you can see you take, what take... entry level role is going to be versus a non-entry level. Like you can see that information on what is the average. Like take your role. Yeah. Now, if I was to go online and check what is the average for someone that does your exact role, um, your exact role um, in the same company, will I get an average or close about estimate to what you're earning? Nah. You don't believe it will be close? Okay. Nah. Maybe you will be able to negotiate a crazy amount. But I personally think it will be close enough in the 90 percentile of what you're earning, 90, 80 percent of what you're earning. Nah. Okay. I think one thing, though, how Daniel's asking, how can we tangibly ourselves try and address the pay gap? Just thinking out loud. Next time, for example, if I have a salary negotiation, I will actually go to mentors that I have within the organization that I can trust and I can actually speak very transparently about the financials and say to them, look, this is what I've been offered. You know the experience I've had. You, you're someone that I trust. This is why I'm asking you transparently, do you think this makes sense or not? And if you go to enough people that you can trust who maybe aren't from a minority background and they know the worth of people within their team, that'll at least give you a good reference to check. Am I being lowballed or not? And then once you have that reference point, you can bring that into the conversation and see if at least for you in your case, can you close that gap if you are in that situation where you have a gap? Then, as P was saying, once you have that information for yourself, if you're supporting other people or you're aware of other people who are maybe one or two moves behind you in their career, but working in very similar roles, you can say to them very transparently, look, when I was your age, I was getting this and this. This is the comparison that I can share with you. You can use that as a reference point. And then that at least helps to address the gap or at least become aware of the gap. Yeah, I don't think there's anything we can really do ourselves to do it. I think it needs a bigger push. I mean, ultimately, if you're always going to work for someone else, you can't control how much you're getting paid. That's why it's very important to do the financial freedom stuff that we can talk in another episode about. Of the X, X, something billion, whatever number you quoted in the beginning, we can certainly certainly, uh, chip away a little bit of it and do our piece. I I think think we can do something. The other thing, which I think is really practical and follows somewhat of Shawar's point, is just get to know HR really well. There are a few people in HR that over some time, they'll let you know, look, at this particular level, this is what we're paying out. And you can use that as a, as a re- re- reference and benchmark. But you've you got to be careful about that too, because they work for, yes. You, if I was to go around this table and say to you, yeah. each, each one of you, how much do you get paid? Yeah. Mm. People don't feel comfortable. Let's be like people. Yeah, and that's the reason why the companies have been able room. to get away with it. It's because yeah. people never like to talk about how much they earn. Is they don't people don't like to talk about it. So you go to HR and telling them, oh, how much does someone in this role? No, 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 earn? no. It's the same no, as not you. like that. Yeah, not like that. I'm talking about. But I hear your point. More so, get to know someone you can trust from HR and you can have a private discussion. This was I was more talking from a friendship standpoint. Yeah, not necessarily going there on a formal meeting because that's not necessarily I think a good idea. <laughs> people just don't like to talk about how much they earn. People Agreed. I agree. People I don't agree. like to talk about it. Like, I'm more transparent with it. Like, if I know someone's applying for a similar role in my company, I'll say, okay, this is how much I'm earning. Yeah? Um, with close friends. But I won't go around and say that to just any, any, anybody. Oh, and I so think, we're not close friends then? Because you ain't told me. If you're applying for a role in my company, <laughs> in my role, I'm I'll say, that. this is how much you, you should be earning. And if you tell me they're paying you 50% less than that, I'll say to you, hey, 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 hey something's wrong here you know like <laughs> but it's yeah 
it's it's a tough one because people are not always transparent with it but i think yes there's more information out there than people actually go and check and i think like people just are afraid to to negotiate because Oh, there's so much games that people play and corporations play. But I don't, play, but... But I don't, but I don't think I don't think this negotiation 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 probably has a small piece to play in the disparity. Three point two billion is a lot. When an Asian family is earning what up to is it uh, what was it? Sure, a third a third less, and a Black African family earning up yeah, to no, not yep. family, not family. This was Bangladeshi Bangladesh or Pakistani origin males. If they, gradu- less, if, they, if they graduated from university could earn in the range of like 14 to 15% lower than their white peer. Yeah, and then a, a black African family are typically a fifth less than white families. Yeah, but, so, but Daniel, you know, I think what you're talking not, about, that is not, not, it's not the same, it's not what we're referring to. So what you're talking about is what you mentioned before, when you were talking about the discrimination about CVs, that's what's really going to change the bigger, like that 3 billion that you're talking about, what's going to resolve that issue is not us negotiating contracts. It's us being able to get even to the interviews or being able to get that job, be able to get the promotion. Like that's what's really going to change or reduce that gap. Um, even some aspect of it could even be cultural because we're not even talking about some cultures and some races. The wife might not work or might stay at home. Then that's going to have an increased gap if versus if you're comparing that to to um caucasians who are both working like there's so many factors that we need to take into consideration um and i think there's not going to be one solution to it i think it's multiple solutions first starting with discrimination that um minorities face but then when you do actually get in the door is understanding your worth being able to negotiate be able to always stay on top of your game and do more skills and training and bring someone through like pabilo said like mentor people and bring people through as you get into the in, in the building. I think it's good. It's great that we're having that discussion. At least we're aware of this gap. Honestly, before this information was made publicly available, it wasn't something that I was even aware of that the gap was so much. People always talk about the male-female gap, and that's something that has really been the profile has been raised over the last few years. And I'm seeing my company make changes, and I'm hearing about that a lot more. So I think this is potentially the first step in a cycle where there is change coming. It's great that we're having a discussion. It's great that more people are aware of it. Companies, as long as they start to show that publicly and we in our individual way can try and bump that gap up as well ourselves, then I think it's moving in the right direction. So, but no, it's it's a great discussion. Cool. Okay. So let's pass it on to Daniel. We're going to go on to the book review. So let me pass it on to Daniel. Cool. Uh, yes, so the book I've been um, I've read and I've been reading again is a book called Strengths Finder 2.0. It's by an author called Tom Rath, who is the number one New York Times bestselling author. Um, the reason why, well, this book was actually given to my, my brother, given to me by my brother, and he just said, you know, you know, have a read of it. And it's an upgraded version from an online um, original kind of test. And it's all, it just says, discover your strengths. So, you know, why would someone want to read this book? I guess this book is good for those who find themselves focusing on their weaknesses as opposed to their strengths. Um, it's not necessarily a, gra- a groundbreaking or revolutionary book to what's out there, but this book allows you to do an online assessment to discover up to your top five strengths. And it uses the, um, the psychologist Gallup, who's an American psychologist, um, online test and some of his theories. 
so why you know what 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 attracted me to this book when you open the book you know it starts off in the intro saying that you know we were tired of living in a world that revolved around fixing our weaknesses and what's more we discovered that people have several times more potential for growth when they invest it invest their energy in developing their strengths instead of correcting their deficient deficiencies you know if i ask you you know how many times in school work or life have we started to focus on our weaknesses you know we spoke about goals how many of you are your goals set on by improving some of your weaknesses Mm. I, I, Daniel, I couldn't agree more And I was waiting to see what was your Biggest takeaway from it From reading a few books last year I'm a, And I'm, this is a bold statement And I firmly believe you actually cannot Improve your weaknesses In terms of what one should do Is, is spend more time, like you said Focusing on your strengths I, I mean, I just couldn't I just couldn't agree with you more Oli, what were you going to say? No, I agree I, I think you can improve it, but is not going to improve by such a significant amount marginal yeah exactly. so marginal. it just makes more sense to what makes us unique unique is our strengths not our weaknesses 100 so it's leveraging those strengths and working towards them and understanding your weakness is important so knowing what your weakness is because if i know i'm not good at something and i always put myself forward for it then <laughs> i'm going to continue i'm going to continuously yeah. fail so knowing your weakness is key but play to your strengths and I think what's also important as well is when it comes to the weakness space, being smart enough to know, let me connect with someone that actually has that as a strength mm. and let's partner up and let's work together. It could be in business, it could be on a particular project. And that's how I think you get the best out of all worlds. Daniel, one one question on the book. So has, after yeah. reading the book, has it um, has it changed anything in your day to day? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into the meat of it and everything. You know, there's a, there's a lot I want to share. I'm going to try and be... Go ahead, go ahead. It's got a lot of It's got a lot of punchy lines, you know. It says at one point, you know, from the cradle to the cubicle, we devote more time to our shortcomings than to our strengths. Mm. So, you know, if we don't have natural talent with numbers, in certain times you're forced to spend time in that area. At work, your manager might... You might not have a natural proclivity tendency to be good at something or have the natural ability but your manager will give you and load you of projects that focus on that area because they say oh i want you to improve on that whereas you could be a lot more impactful to the organization to the business if you were played if you played to your oh. strengths oh. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this is I'm, I'm, I'm getting warm up i'm warming up so you know a common misguided maxim is you can be anything you want to be if you just try hard enough but that's that's not true. And if that the was the is, case, P would be a footballer right now, but <laughs> he's in that cubicle. <laughs> no, actually, Daniel, I would challenge that to a certain extent. I do think, obviously, it's as long as you're building on your strengths, but if you're building on your strengths, then whatever you want to be, if you have that mindset... No, 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 sure, sure. F your dreams, yeah? <laughs> sometimes sometimes your dreams are not realistic. And you can't be whatever you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. You can't be anything you want to be. If, if you're you building on your strengths. No, yeah, if you're building on your strength. But I'm going to, I'll give you a twist. I'll give you a twist in a moment. Bro, keep going, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Keep and, you know, you're talking I'll, that and, talk. You know, Come on. You know, from a, you know, from a young age, you tell, you tell young, your young cousins, nephews, nieces, you know, we'll probably tell our young children, our children when we have them, is, you know, you can be anything you want to be in life. You know, but the thing is, someone who hasn't got the natural talent or ability to be a footballer, a swimmer, an NFL player, basketball player, you can't be that. You can spend a hundred hours in in a week on trying to improve and perfect that skill, but you're not going to make it to be in the Premier League. 
Yeah. You're not going to be the next Neymar. That's not you. That's not your talent. And I think a more accurate maxim, as you were saying, Joel, trying to twist it, is you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you who you already are. Ooh, but you know what? Isn't that and dangerous? No, no, that no, because that comes down to your natural talent, your your raw ability. You cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. But doesn't that contra- doesn't that contradict the ten thousand hours? See, you Have you heard the the no. saying about like you need to put the ten thousand hours in anything to yeah, be an expert? So like, as a child, if at that time you're, I believe you're a sponge. You personally, you can if you put the ten thousand hours in from two you're going to already be ahead of the game. Not, so doesn't that second, contradict that? Yeah. But no, but I think it's a lot to do with at what period in your life we're actually referring to focusing yeah. on your strengths versus your weaknesses. If you're, if you're, if you're one, two years of age, the, 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 you know, the advice around you can be whatever you want to be, dream big, go after it, perhaps can apply because there's probably a lot of space that you need to still fill out from a, from a mind and ability standpoint. But I, I see what Dan's talking about now. I see applying for us right now or 18 yeah. to 25 year olds. Right. And it's, it's, I think it's much more imperative to look at it at that stage and say, look, what are my strengths? And let me go all in on my strengths. Mm. Because some, for example, one, Shuo or myself, or you just mentioned it. Okay, what's the chance, what's the likelihood of me playing point guard for the Lakers? Even if I put in 10,000 hours. Thing is, I saw, I saw you play, I played basketball a couple of weekends ago and I know it will take at least 100,000 hours. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> think it's going to take that long. I don't even think he's like, I don't think he's talking enough to... <laughs> <laughs> no, but going, going, going back to the book, you know, about this book is Strength Finder. So it's talking about finding your strengths. And it also talks about if you're not able to use your strengths, and, you know, the Gallup surveyed more than 10 million people, and what he comes down to is 34 different themes. But before I get to that point, you know, he surveyed um, 10 million people, and also from it, people gave the response of how they would, you know, in a workplace, respond or how would they feel if they're not playing towards their strengths. So the chances are that you'll dread going into work. You'd have more negative than positive interactions with your colleagues. You'll treat clients, customers, colleagues poorly. Powerful. You, you tell your friends what a miserable company you work for. Um, Powerful. You, you achieve a lot less on a daily basis Can I and, you... have, and have fewer positive and creative moments. But one question, Daniel, you know how what you were saying earlier about building on your strengths? No, actually, sorry. So you can't, what was the phrase again that you were the saying? Max, well, the maximum, you can be anything you want to be if you just try hard enough. No, the other one, it was something like be more of who you are or something like that. Oh, you cannot be anything. You can't be anything. But you can be a lot more of who you already are. Yeah, so that that point I would actually challenge because what if there's a skill out there that you just haven't even realized yet that you excel at or that you could be good at oh, because I'm, you just I'm, haven't been exposed I'm, to it? I'm going to get to that. Don't worry. That's cool. that wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Before, before you get to that point, I just want to add, I think, and we, I don't know if we do this enough, it is so liberating to say to yourself, I'm not good at X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to live with that. Yeah. And I'm just going to literally focus on what my strengths are. And I don't know if people say that enough to themselves, because what we do is we say, okay, cool. This is what I'm known to be weak at. And I'm going to, this year, I'm going to try and work on it and improve it. Forget it. You're not good at it. No, but seriously, you're not good at it. But it's Tell dangerous. Yourself. It's no, dangerous no, 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 as no, no, well. No. Wait, time out, time out, time out. You're not good at it. Tell yourself that. Tell others that. Be proud of it and say, look, this is not my areas of strength. I've got my team of people that can help me in these areas, but, but this is but, what I am good at. But, but I think that's what makes you... But that's dangerous. Makes, but no, no, that's what makes a successful leader. They're aware no, it's of, not dangerous. It's yeah, not that's what makes a successful leader. So I agree. I think we're... Someone simply, who's not good at what... You're talking about it in terms of business, 
we're talking about it and we're gonna need to differentiate the difference between not, talking about it not, it's everything but it's really it's not, not everything like, because okay let's say for example okay complete, you two are married marriage. you two are married yeah you two are married you two are married yeah okay your wife is here yeah let's say for example you're you're lacking in some area in your marriage are you gonna say to her huh no, go ahead. I'm going to pick a no. point. Like, for example, not listening well enough. Yeah, for example, not listening well enough. You're going to say to him, hey, 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 yo, man's <laughs> turn, yeah? Like, African man. like African. yo, you married me, so I'm not working on that. I'm not learning that. We're done. But that's completely different. That's, I think you've got to and yeah, that's, that's why I said it's point. dangerous. No, it's, no, it's dangerous if you're not. You you're, going, you're, going you're, you're not being picky. You understand exactly what we're trying to say here. Yeah. I'm just so making like, sure people are careful and not just hearing what you're saying and just no. thinking, oh, I'm gonna apply that to everything in my life no, and not understanding able, when to apply it. Because what will end up happening is you got you should share everything. Go ahead, go ahead, slow down. Let man, I want to let me go. Let me just finish this book with you, please. Just allow me. Just give me two more minutes. We've been speaking about these things, and one you know, this book would be useful, especially if you know, say you're younger, you're working, young professional, you're still navigating yourself through you know, through your role and learning about yourself. Is that one big problem a lot of people face is most people are either unaware or or unable to describe their own strengths or the strengths of the people around them. And I think understanding your strengths is one thing, but also understanding the strengths of others is very important because you can then know, you know who then to speak to if you need help with something. I know who I'd go to if I wanted to take some advice on something, uh, say, you know, buying a new car or the best way to buy a new car, or uh, I want to remortgage, I want to buy it, get a second mortgage. You know, I know the people that I would speak to because you've got to understand people's strengths, strengths and ability um, and this is important in everyday life, whether you're leading the team or working with a team. Because at work, I, I use work for example, because we're all young professionals, we have to have projects, we could get stuck with something, we need someone's help. Oh, I remember that the XYZ is good at this, I know they can help me with this particular part. Or people can come to you because they know you're good at something. Or your manager might want you to present something all the time because they like the way you deliver a complex idea in a simple way. And this is why this book is good. And one, there's, there's an equation I want to draw you to, and I think we kind of touched upon it in, a, in, in, some, in some regard, is that when you have talent multiplied by investment equals strength. So when I say talent, it's a natural way of thinking, feeling, or behaving multiplied by investment, which is the time spent practicing, developing your skills, and building your knowledge base equals strength. And that strength is the ability to consistently provide near-perfect performance. So that talks about how you need to use your talent, but also investing that time to that your God-given and talent that you have to inc to equal strength. So Daniel, that that equation, for example, is a perfect, and I think this was a kind of the question that I came up with earlier, in terms of what if in that equation you said talent times investment equals strength. What if that talent you're not even aware of or you haven't been exposed to yet, and you're not even aware of that it's a strength. Would you, would you, would you, because for me, there could be skills out there, even now, like I'm in my, I'm in the age yeah, range yeah. between 25 to 30, we're still relatively young enough where if we wanted to try something quite drastic that we haven't been exposed to before, we may actually be better at that than what we've already been exposed to the last eight to 10 years. So in that case, that's why building on strengths is important, but I think it's also important to balance it with a curiosity to potentially 
be open-minded to learn about a new skill or a new area that you're curious about to see if that is also a potential strength. Yeah, but I'm I'm fully behind that. I'm, I think I think that's probably the next level to how this discussion, like how I maybe how I understand it and this point around is if you take yourself to, if you take an inventory of yourself today and you have a list of weaknesses, the point I understand is not to spend so much time dwelling over what those weaknesses are, but focus all the efforts as much as you can into your strengths to continue pushing yourself forward. Now, to to I mean the example that we had earlier when we was talking a little bit around. If you're in a marriage, for example, and I take myself, um, I need to learn how to listen better. I can improve on that, but it's so it's not necessary. It's not necessarily saying that you can't improve weaknesses. Is I think it's more saying think very carefully where you want to spend most of your amount of time and energy on, and that should be more geared towards your strengths. But remember, also the weaknesses doesn't mean you're rubbish. It just means that it's not your strength. So you can still have a a good weakness, but it's just not your strength. And let me just finish off with, you know, the book has 34 different themes, um, which it will then give you a result of five in online assessments. So it's like an achiever, analytical, arranger, belief, command, communication, competition, um, consistency, context, deliberate, developer, empathy, focus, futuristic, ideation, um, includer, individualization, input, maximizer, relator, responsibility, um, self-assurance, and significance and strategic. So there are five different, you know, 34 different themes and the online assessment would be, you know, you complete something, it gives you your top five theme report built around the new strengths insights descriptions and also gives you 50 ideas of action, um, 10 for your, 10 each for your top five themes based on thousands of best practices suggestions, um, sorry, based on thousands of best practice suggestions um, that they've reviewed um it's is very insightful very good for those who maybe want to discover their strengths um and to focus on them to develop them and maximize that dope dope now great book i'm gonna look into that no, I, think sharing. I think it's a great book um i just think it needs it's all about balance um. <laughs> yeah, Daniel, repeat the, repeat, the, uh, repeat the name and the author of the book again. So oh, that... so just to repeat, um, this is Strengths Finder 2.0 uh, by the number one New York Times bestselling author, Tom Rath. Thank, thanks a lot for, for sharing that. It's definitely a book that I haven't been made aware of before. So I'm going to order it right now, actually, as we speak. I'm on Amazon. So thanks for that. No, it was a great, great conversation. I think we talked a lot about. Um, at the beginning, the importance of goal setting, which is important, especially now we're in Q1 of the year, so we can plan ahead for the year ahead. Um, it's great that us as a group of black and ethnic minority, we're talking about the pay gap. Some of our listeners may not have been aware of that news cycle that came recently. So to raise that awareness, have that conversation with a friend. Even if you're not a minority listener, have that conversation with maybe a friend who is and then get their opinion. Because I think conversation, how we're having it, the more we have these conversations, the better the, the discussion will move towards. And Daniel, great recommendation at the end as well. Definitely, as I said, I'm going to order that book. So episode four, it looks like is in the bag. So congrats, gentlemen. As always, if you've got any feedback, please email us at takeflightpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at takeflightpodcast. Take off, take